On this episode, we discuss Last Christmas. Based on a true story. If by true story, you mean some of the lyrics of a George Michael song. Welcome to the Flophouse. I'm Dan McCoy. I'm Stuart Wellington. And I'm Elliot Kalen. And look who's here joining us. Look. Uh, uh, hi, I'm Hallie Hacklin. <laughs> That's right, everybody. It's You know you know her from The Daily Show. You may know her from White Snacks Problem Areas. You may know her for being my office mate for four years. Or you probably know her best as the star of the Flophouse, Hallie Hagland. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Did you- yeah, it looks like a bunch of people paid to have digital fans entered into the background to celebrate. <laughs> I like that, Hallie, you are the, such a popular guest that we don't even introduce you. We let you introduce yourself. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, me too. Now, Hallie, Hallie, uh, yeah. you know, you it's no secret that you've had a problem with some of the other movies sometimes that we've made you watch for the, for the podcast not so much the horror movies but uh a lot of the the more fantasy <laughs> oriented yeah. uh sort of the bull Boo. the bull uh, for the those who can't watch hallie was giving would... a thumbs down that was a thumbs down <laughs> movement from hallie so, they were just boring like yeah. that's the problem it's like they weren't even fun bad they were just long and boring well, which, yeah. which movies did we watch with did we have with you before I, i've forgotten do you remember one of them was the dark something Tower. about Oh, was right. that yeah that's, that was definitely the worst yeah that was where the upside down world right that's a different oh, yeah, one we did that one that, that was, was called upside down. down i think that was called yeah dark tower is the one oh, where matthew mcconaughey was like in my world we don't have chicken mm-hmm. oh oh yeah mm-hmm. yeah, yeah that no. was bad too i don't even remember that one didn't we do one of the uh 50 shades movies yeah 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 no, I, yeah, I feel like the one the the my favorite of the ones we watched was the Zac Efron one. Oh yeah, that was the one where I wasn't on the episode, so that makes sense. Aww. That makes sense. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, she had a great time. It was no so sense. fun. It was so fun. I, mean, no. I like, I like we all super hot guys like Zac Efron too. I don't know why I wouldn't be included. Now, yeah. uh, listeners may not know this is the first time we've had Hallie on the show since she moved to my hometown, Los Angeles. And let me just tell you, I was so excited when Hallie moved out there, and I was like, this is going to be great. We're going to hang out all the time. And then some dumb germ had to come in and ruin those plans. <laughs> so, I mean, Elliot, you are literally the only people that we ever socialized with in Los Angeles. Because <laughs> <laughs> you came over, you had moved in, what, like a couple days before or a week before when you came over? Uh, yeah, I think we had dinner at your house like yeah, maybe a week after we moved in, and then L.A. shut down two weeks after we moved in. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Terrible. Well, you know what? It's just too bad our friendship is over now, and when, when, we'll never, wow. we'll never <laughs> have dinner What do you guys do for dinner? Yeah. <laughs> Let's have a yeah, rundown. What's do you have on? a me- menu? Or? What do you guys do for dinner with Elliot and Danielle? <laughs> Danielle cooked a lovely feast. She mm-hmm. cooked kebabs, I believe. Yeah, yeah. With a, a garlicky hummus. Mm, the hummus wow. was very garlicky. 
It was really? like it was you, it was a little uh-huh. a little too vinegary or garlicky, but <laughs> oh, you could wow. only have a little oh. bit of it before your tongue jumped out of your know. mouth and said, "No more, please," and ran away. <laughs> yeah, I think you're speaking yeah, that, my language. That ruined your, uh, yeah, that ruined the game of spin the bottle that was supposed to finish uh, the meal. <laughs> well, it was gonna... that we were about to play with our three children. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was going to be one of those. We were like, we live in. In La La Land now, time to put the kids to bed in one room. Don't lock the door so that they can walk out and find us playing kind of creepy, weird adult games <laughs> that are we're finding uncomfortable, too, so that they yeah. can write about it in their memoirs about growing up in that crazy Hollywood culture. But the garlic, yeah, it really put a damper on it. Elliot just has like an empty goldfish bowl at the entrance to his house where you just drop your keys when you go in. <laughs> And thank, <laughs> that's how key parties work, right? Yeah, I th- think so. I've only ever seen them so. in the movies. Thank God you took the goldfish out of that bowl because I remember the first key parties you had. People were just dumping it in, filling <sighs> that bowl with keys. Well, the and worst thing is you reach in and you reach in, you pull it out of goldfish, and you're like, I guess I'm doing it with this goldfish tonight. <laughs> yeah, like, that's the worst part. <laughs> Yeah, and then like fucking Vince Clortho shows up, and you're like, "Ugh, okay." <laughs> I, I guess I, I guess I pulled off the ritual. Didn't even mean to. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, what I was saying before though was just that uh, we've tortured Hallie a lot, so we decided to give her well, a Dan, little more. What do we do on this podcast? What do we do okay, on this podcast? All right. Back to the back to everyone. Back to one. <laughs> Free rack. <laughs> uh, on this podcast, we watch a bad movie or a movie that was, let's say, presumed bad. Uh, by critics or audiences, and uh, then we talk about it. And this time around, Hallie was given a list of things we were under consideration, and she immediately came back within seconds with Last Christmas out of the list given. Uh, yeah, which, uh, you know, not surprising, but a, a good movie, one that I wanted to watch uh, anyway for the show. So not total freedom. I was given a list. That's true. It wasn't. You weren't given total Freedom, da 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 da. Freedom, da 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 da. Freedom. So, so That's yeah, a Dan, why don't you song. take those lies and make them truths? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I learned from this movie, guys? Uh, I'm jumping ahead. I never really listened to the lyrics of George Michael songs before, so I didn't realize that they're all super depressing. That <laughs> I know yeah. it made me feel like he is so he was so sad. We should have seen yeah. the the tragic untimely death coming. Yeah, I never. I mean, everyone's death we should see coming at some point. Nobody escapes this life alive. But uh, uh-huh. the, except was, for Aslan Rex, the uh, the Dark Lord of Darkon. Fair point. Fair point. You're right. I forgot about that. Very common. Although he is trapped in his realm and can't leave because his <laughs> phylactery keeps growing with every year. What a horrible <laughs> fate for Aslan. The Lord of the Lord of Daikon, the radish? Dar- yeah, it's he's the Lord of Daikon, the radish. He's, <laughs> yeah. he's a radish-based lich. <laughs> a radish king. He lives inside a radish. Uh, so it's But th- there's a scene com- we'll talk about, I guess, where they're on a date. They're ice skating to a George Michael song, and the lyrics are all about how God turned his back on his children, and his children have escaped. And it was like, what is this song? This sad yeah. man. I felt so bad for him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, last Christmas. Uh, it's a... It's a romantic comedy. It has a good pedigree. Uh-huh. Uh, Emma yep. Thompson wrote it. Uh, Paul Feig directed it. It's, it has Emma Thompson in it. It has Amelia Clark of Game of Thrones as uh, the our lead, and Henry Henry Golding of uh, of uh, Crazy Rich Asians is a very uh-huh. handsome man. In I both think you're leaving out that international superstar Michelle Yeoh is in the movie. Yep. yep. Patty yep. Lupone shows up for one scene, which seems one weird. inexplicable. 
It's what's weird is that who is she? She was buying those little uh, baby Jesuses in the store in the very beginning. That was Broadway Wait, legend that was Patty, Patty Lapone. Yeah. Oh no, I'm thinking of Bernadette Peters. I was oh. like, she looks different. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to Bernadette Peters' face? Because she looks like Patty Lapone. <laughs> and uh, she seems like she'd still have a beautiful singing voice, but a different kind of beautiful singing voice. <laughs> I thought it was very funny that oh. that uh, Rob Delaney and Peter Serafinowicz are mentioned in the opening credits, and they appear for roughly 45 seconds in the film. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. But you know, all I'm saying, there's a lot of talent behind this. Uh, one of one of the hosts, or one of the one of the hosts from uh, the Great British Bake Off, appears in the scene. Uh-huh. That's true. Uh, yep. And oh wait, when? And she's in the the ice, ice audition. Game. Yeah. Guys, it sounds like Elliot is trying to horn in on my job this time, and just Sorry, a wow. summary. And no way, I am driving this fucking car today. Okay, I won't even mention that Peter Meigen from the uh, highest grossing <laughs> Danish film ever, I think, Flame and Citroen, was also in it. Oh. Well, actually, you know what? Maybe it's just the biggest budget Danish film ever. Is he the Stuart, father? Take, Stuart's doing And now I'm going to be done talking for most of the episode because okay. Stuart's going to summarize. Stuart, take well. it away. Okay, so before I get into the actual plot of the movie, guys, we have to address, I think, a, a kind of big part of this movie, which is there is a very crazy, in some ways, very obvious twist in it. Mm-hmm. Should we, are we going to just uh, go along with the summary of the movie and get to the twist when it happens in the movie? Or should we just bring it up right now and talk about the movie in context of this crazy twist? A twist that many people just guessed as soon as the movie trailer <laughs> hit the internet. <laughs> okay, guess what? Apparently, so I had watched maybe, uh, I had maybe like a half hour or to 45 minutes left, and I put it on pause, and I uh, I was just like going to the bathroom or something, and then I walked past my husband, and I was like, this movie is so good. I just don't know what's going to happen at the end. And he was like, I'm guessing it probably has something to do with like the second line of the song. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, what? Uh. No, no, it's not going to be. And then... <laughs> oh, so we are just gonna we're gonna air this dirty laundry uh which is not the song this is based on uh this is a movie inspired by the wham song last christmas uh where the mysterious love interest uh is actually i guess a ghost of a man who donated his heart to our lead uh, exactly one year ago when she was in need of a heart transplant so it is as much like the first two lines of the song as you can imagine. Yeah. Uh, they don't ever, they don't talk about the third line of the song in which she would have just given that heart away the next day. Yeah. That would have been strange. It would have been crazy because she would need it to live. She'd just yeah. like pull it out of her chest and give it to like, um, to, uh, what's his name from Temple of to Doom? To Mola Ram. Yeah, Mola Ram. Mola Ram. Yeah. <laughs> now, let me, let me just say uh, that there are, there are metaphorical ways to read this twist that I, that, I actually kind of like, and I may make an argument for later, but the movie makes it hard to make uh, the metaphorical argument when there are things like she goes to places that only this guy would have known, which suggests that there's some sort of literal supernatural quality that receiving someone else's organ has. But yeah, just like in body parts. Yeah. Uh, so now that we now that we got that out of the way, everybody wow. everybody lets Suspend out your a, disbelief. Now people. that we've spoiled the movie. Oh, uh, guys, uh-huh. before we talk about this Sixth Sense movie, let's just mention, oh, he's also a ghost. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, guys, before uh, we talk about I'm the I'm go- the only one who believes in love. <laughs> <laughs> before, before we talk about the ghost and Mrs. Muir, I should let you know the guy's a ghost. <laughs> well, that was in the title. 
that wasn't even implied by the title like this one. Is that really if somebody went to see that movie and they came, they got in after the opening credits and then they were like at the end like he was a ghost. And guys, what is a ghost? Is it a tragedy condemned to repeat itself time and again? An incident of pain, perhaps? Something dead, which still seems to be alive. Wait, wait, an emotion up. suspended in time. I think the third like one. Like a blurred photograph. Like an insect trapped in amber. Is, is that Tom Webster? What? Is it out? So okay, let's get into Stuart, the movie. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. I must know. Are you quoting something, or did you just write that out ahead of time? It's the, it's the opening narration of uh, Devil's Backbone, one of my favorite movies. Uh, okay. okay, so uh, <laughs> we we open with a church choir singing a, I, I can't tell if it's a George Michael song or a Wham song, but it is basically letting us know this is not our daddy's uh, Christmas church choir performance. <laughs> also, it's in uh, Yugoslavia, so my dad's never been there. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I didn't. Oh, yeah. I've I guess, been there. My dad's been there. I've been. I've been there. You guys. If you have any questions, <laughs> I've been there. Was it like that? Well, was it like that when you were there? Was it just? Was it just kids church choirs? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And there so, was sausage. I remember. I was uh-huh. like seven. Okay. <laughs> so I ate a sausage uh, and then children's choirs. <laughs> okay, so let me start over. It opens with a church choir singing a George Michael or possibly Wham song in a Yugoslavian church, and that goes to show that this is. Hallie's father's or Hallie's daddy's uh, church choir performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now, we I would just mention to- Stuart was accurate with me. It was not my dad's church choir performance. Being Jewish, he was not didn't go to church, wasn't in a choir. And again, as stated, has never been to Yugoslavia. Okay. I just want to clarify in case there's any confusion. My dad is actually in a choir and it is nothing like this. So the way that that statement was phrased, there might be some confusion. I don't want anyone so, to confuse so Stuart- it with the Colorado uh, Chamber Choir. So Stuart should have said, this is in some ways like Hallie's daddy's church yep. choir. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so we are introduced to Katarina, a young Yugoslavian girl who is singing the lead or solo of this song. And uh, her mother, played by Emma Thompson, is uh, in the, I guess, audience or the congregation watching and loving every minute of it. Flash forward to 2017. That was that in 1999, that last, that last part. Okay, uh, cool. Good, good, uh, good point. Uh, that little girl, that little girl is all grown up now and singing the same song alone in a bar, drowning her sorrows. Yeah. Uh, we learn through a conversation with a potential suitor that she has family troubles. She loves George Michael. Uh, we learn she's living out of a suitcase. And after some flirting, she goes home with this fellow. But Wait, her- I have a question. Yeah, of course. Can I ask a question? That actor, yeah, he, he, what is he from? He, he looked so Last familiar. Last Christmas. He's from this movie. Uh, oh, uh, thanks. Dan, you want no, to hit the internet and find out? I do, well, uh, I do want to, uh, as long as we're talking about actors, just off the top, our lead, our uh, adult version of that young girl is, of course, uh-huh. Amelia Clark, who oh, you yeah. may know from uh, Game of Thrones or the Terminator Genesis. But you did not know Solo. her like this. Solo, no. a Star Wars story? <laughs> yes. I, uh, I, 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 I liked her right quite a bed. bit. She's really good in this. Yeah, I, I, she is so charming. Who yeah. knew she had that that dimension? It makes mm-hmm. me feel like she was. Uh, I I never really. I didn't think she was bad as Daenerys, but I didn't love her as Daenerys. But I think she's great in this, and it's like, oh, because she's got like a sparkle to her that yes. the Game of Thrones couldn't take advantage of. I think she know? is exactly. very ill served by like the sort of solemn roles that she's been forced to take so far. Because I think that she has a real like talent for light comedy and a charm, and yeah, I liked her a lot. Mm-hmm. So, uh, she goes home with this fellow, 
and uh, that initial bliss is ruined because it turns out her uh, her new friend is married and she is out on the streets again. Uh, she's a bit of a mess. She works at a uh, what is this a year round Christmas store called what Yuletide? Uh, she where she has to dress as an elf and she has ho 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 written on her hand as a note, which I thought was a pretty kind of funny touch <laughs> like the kind of note you'd write yourself to remember and you're like i gotta remember to say ho 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 <laughs> uh we're introduced to her boss uh santa who is played by the always incredible michelle yo mm-hmm. uh who is like this tough but fair uh character uh though we learn later on that santa is just an adopted name and that she picks a different name related to whatever business she's working it's that's one of those little moments where I was like, yeah, I didn't think you needed to explain that movie. Like, I didn't really think her name, her birth name was Santa. <laughs> like, that seems, I think you just take it for granted that the person who runs a Christmas store is just going to take the name Santa. It wasn't like, well, why did my parents curse me with the name Santa? Now all I can do is run a Christmas <laughs> store. I also want to say that uh, Audrey yelled aloud every time Santa was wearing a new uh, outfit. So as someone who doesn't uh, necessarily always pay the most attention to clothes in movies, I just wanted to note that uh, that was an A-plus ensemble uh, factory from her uh, was the general thought. Yeah, I mean, Michelle Yeoh is one of those performers who can kind of do no wrong in my eyes. So, yeah, yeah. Any moment she's on screen is a, is a win for me. Uh, so this scene, this like kind of first day of work we see, it kind of introduces three main plot points. The first, her sister Marta, who's kind of the like stuffy sister, visits and guilt trips her into visiting their parents. Uh, you know, that family stress. Uh, at one point, she is distracted by a well-dressed hottie, Tom, played by Henry Golding. And then a bird shits in her eye. <laughs> Big shit. And, and I, then, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to say that um, both... Uh, for reasons that will become clear later in the movie, obviously, when the twist arrives, but also, like, just because of Henry Golding's general demeanor, it is kind of baffling the degree to which she uh, seems off-put by him. At the Like, she, like, continually talks about how weird he is when he is a perfectly normal-looking man and uh, handsome and polite and quiet. Like, he's not think- doing anything for her, like giant reaction i guess is what i'm saying like, i think he, i think that we're supposed to take from it that she is so used to kind of losers and and uh bad boys that uh, someone who is nice is is taken as weird if it also like he is eventually he is kind of weird he's no, one of those he guys gets, who's like let me show you all my favorite hidden <laughs> yeah, corners of the yes. city no he does like, get a little God. weird Another tour I date. I would also say, I would also say, I think it had to do with her embarrassment by getting pooped on a bird in front of him. Because if you remember, when she first saw him, she was like dusting the little Christmas ornaments and uh. looked through the window and was like, hmm, I, me likey. And then <laughs> she went outside, got pooped on a bird. And then after that, she was like, you're so weird. Get away from me. And I was like, you, yeah. you liked him. The weird thing is, yeah. to me, he gets weirder and weirder throughout the movie as his interest in her clearly gets less and less romantic and more and more therapeutic as the movie goes on. <laughs> that was to the what point I was where I was, I was like, so you've got to be a ghost, because why else are you... I don't understand why you're looking for this relationship <laughs> well, right I now. Well, I mean, she's a... Stop I mean, describing all my relationships, Elliot. He, he, I, mean, I know, he, Stuart, you're really into wounded birds that you can, you can pick up and heal and put them back in their nest. Well, I mean, this character is like a manic pixie dream guy in that like, he is literally just showing up to improve our main character's 
life for reasons yeah. that let me just make ask, more were sense. You guys, were you guys offended by that? Oh, not as, a- as men. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> to see men portrayed that way on screen. I was like, finally, someone's telling my story. I don't know. Well, I knew that he was a manifestation of her psyche, so it didn't really bother me that much. But I will, I, I will say that um, I was kind of relieved that I knew that he was a manifestation of her psyche because I was like, well, if he's a real man, like this would not be a healthy relationship between the two no, of them over time. Like not at all. He would just be like a font of wisdom, like for her, and that would all be all of it. And like she would grow dependent on it. Like it's, it would not be a good thing. It or only because works he helped her through that, or because he helped her through that trauma, she would uh, always associate him with that trauma, and then that would poison their relationship. Yeah, yeah. The relationship would be built on us on a feeling of. Uh, of obligation, you helped yeah. me yeah. through this hard time, so now I guess I have to be with you. It's like, it's kind of like uh, Zazie Beats in Joker, where as I was mm-hmm. watching it, I was like, this character better be a figment of his imagination because if not, her actions make no sense as yeah. human act behavior. You know, mm-hmm. it's but, like that she was interested in him at all. Yes, exactly. Yeah. This this crazy weirdo yeah. who who has a, a body like uh, Christian Bale in The Machinist. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> It's all sharp corners on that guy. So, uh, and then, so of course, as I said, uh, we have our little meet cute. She meets Tom, uh, who again, let me, I can't stress this enough, is a ghost. Uh, and then the last I didn't ma- know. I didn't know. The, the, you watched it and you didn't know. No I'm, not, I'm not saying that it's obvious, like, while she's talking to him, her hand passes through his fucking ectoplasm or some shit. You know what it's, you know, yeah. she, she, she reached out to embrace him and fell on the street. Yeah, the, the yeah. part where... That's the not part her where, shit, it's ectoplasm. The part where she, she, she touched him and her hand passed through and she felt a, a, the chill of the grave in her bones. You know, yeah. Stuart, you're saying I can't stress this enough he's a ghost to me it sounded like you were trying to like set Hallie up with someone for instance and we're like like now he's a very nice guy uh handsome he's got a job i cannot stress this enough he is a ghost <laughs> like you okay, will so not be with third... him long term he will be called to the other side anyway sorry i will i will say if he was not a ghost it does risk falling into the stereotype of the kind of like yeah. sexless asian man which the, him being a ghost who doesn't exist and is just her heart yeah. telling her to be a better person makes a little bit okay, but yeah. you know. But she was into him, so I think it avoids that. She was into she was him. attracted to him. That's true, but he was very like it was one of those things where she's like, "Come sleep with me," and he's like, "No, I can't. We barely know each other." And it's like, "All right, who is?" That was one of the moments where I was like, "This dude better be a ghost." Like, <laughs> do you Whoa. guys know what this means? <laughs> What's that? It means I finally saw a ghost. Oh, Hallie, we did it. It's a Christmas miracle. <laughs> she's, Literally. She's, Hallie did just, oh, wow. just did like a little ta-da motion. <laughs> okay, and then the, the, the last plot point we deal with on that first day of work is we find out that Santa has a mysterious relationship with a distinguished-looking Colin Firth German-type guy. Danish. Uh, and A Danish, sure. And at some point, Eventually, she helps, uh, you know, a couple scenes later, she's going to help Santa get that date with that fella. Colin Firth was, is way hotter than that guy. I think that's... Oh, okay. Yeah. The guy is also, uh, he's he is a little weird in that he is obsessed with, with Christmas trinkets. And there's part of me that's like, where he keeps presenting them as like, this is what you're into, right? And I, and I wanted to see the scene where Michelle Yeoh was like, okay, straight talk. 
I just do this for a living. <laughs> I'm like not really into Christmas novelty crap. Like you don't have to keep bringing me lots of Christmas stuff, but we don't get yeah. to see that scene. No, he's into cabbage. He's he's into sauerkraut. Well, his he's family into... is a sauerkraut family. Yeah. I do want to say also. I think it's bears noting that these scenes between the two of them uh, are played uh, bro- broadly comic, but I I found it genuinely funny where. They immediately are dumbstruck with one another and cannot say anything without huge pregnant pauses in between them and gazing into each other's eyes and not breaking eye contact. Uh, so that's the gag of those scenes. Yeah, it's it's funny and it also keeps the uh, the romantic pressure on the movie. So yeah. uh, Kate leaves work and rushes to perform in an audition. Uh, she has a couple of these throughout the movie um, where she performs and Peter Zarafinowicz is mean to her. Uh, she's trying to be a singer, right? That's the, yeah. the whole deal. Yes. But she has uh, not she been does... able to sing since who knows she at sounded this point. Bad. <laughs> at this audition, yeah. she did not sound good, guys. Yeah. Uh, wow. This yeah. was not your daddy's... We should have gotten Hallie in the panel of judges on that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hallie would have been like, pitchy, dog. Very pitchy. <laughs> She... I'll go there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why they bring you into the room. There. They need somebody who does the straight talk. <laughs> I would like, now that I, I really James Woods see... has been canceled. <laughs> I, w- I want to see Hallie Hacklin so badly on uh, on the voice and her just to be like, that was not good. And then no other, no other commentary. <laughs> or if someone blows them away, she's just like, that was good. <laughs> So she keeps bumping into Tom. Uh, he's he behaves mysteriously. He is vague about his lifestyle and where he lives. Uh, he describes his own behavior as kind of serial killery, which I guess is meant to like what hang a hang a lantern on it. Uh, and then he takes her to his secret garden and they sit on a bench. Yeah, which is one of the many things in here that does not make sense uh, if this is a manifestation simply of her consciousness, because like. How does she know about this secret bench, which turns out to be a bench that was donated in his honor, like at the end of the movie, you know, mm-hmm. unless the heart inside her, the organ, still has some sort of sentience. Yeah. Now, it's yeah. possible. It's possible she fell asleep while watching a show called like Britain's, like London's Hidden Secrets and then mm-hmm. just absorbed it subconsciously. But I think it was that a ghost took her there. Hallie, yeah. what do you think? Yeah, I don't know understand dan why you're so uh committed to this being a manifestation of her like uh like emotional needs when you make us watch all these fucking stupid movies that are all fantastical (laughs) about like other dimensions like can it just be a supernatural intervention uh well i I guess because i don't like that as much like that's uh that uh sort of buys into this notion that you know there is going to be some sort of intervention in your life and that's what you need to change whereas i i think you can read this movie metaphorically if not literally as like this is her helping herself because that person is not actually there and i find the movie more interesting as a a, a light comedy drama about like figuring out how to come through depression and trauma uh, mm-hmm. than like a romantic comedy where, you know, like the guy's just an angel or something, you know? I mean, he's not one, he's a ghost at two. I, I'm saying that type of movie. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious, Dan, do you feel it is less sophisticated 
as a story if it is a if it literally has a literal ghost than if it is a metaphorical ghost who just represents her inner thoughts and feelings no what i'm saying i'm fine with it being a, a ghost story where the ghost is a metaphor for that if it's a reading where it's like just supernatural intervention like that i don't care for well, can it be both? Can it literally be supernatural intervention, but you, the viewer, are taking it as a metaphor for your own life? Since if you watch the movie and you're like, oh, well, I better wait for a ghost to tell me what to do, that would be a, a, not well, a reasonable reaction Elliot, to Elliot, we are saying exactly the same thing. I'm saying well, that I, but I, I, think, I think we're— I, No, 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 hold on. I'm saying that I can yeah. take it both supernaturally and as a metaphor. I can take it as that way. But if someone simply takes it as supernatural, I do not like that— so you're saying for a smart person like you, who can read it at both levels, it's a good movie, but for a dum-dum who's like, g-g-ghosts, okay, uh-huh. I thought they were scary, but now I know they're good and they'll help me with my problems. <laughs> I don't know why. You, you think take... it's bad for them, I don't know why you gotta, like, bring out your, your poison pen for the takedown on this one. <laughs> no, no, I just, I think, I, think you're, I think you're splitting a hair that you might not need to be splitting. Well, I mean, it's the hair that I need to split in my own mind. Like you're telling me, okay, I don't that's need to fair. split it. Like uh, I got that's a split. mind hair. I got to split things sometimes. As long as you know you're, you're splitting for yourself. Everybody's got to split. So we we're gonna <laughs> we're talking about splitting. Split. We're now that we're talking about splitting. Let's talk about how Kate splits, uh, hanging out with Tom, <laughs> and goes to live with her. Goes to stay with some friends, uh, but her like quirky, selfish bullshit just keeps ruining her relationships. She destroys this poor guy's fucking model collection, and that is a bridge too far for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> was that when you turned on uh, you turned on uh, Kate when you saw that she ruined not one but two of his craft projects? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, what I did was I turned to my cat Meatball, who's been knocking my stuff off my shelves, and I said. That's you. You're that. You're horrible. <laughs> so at this point, this became a horror story for you because you're like, okay, it's a ghost and a demon woman teaming up together to wreak God yeah. knows what happened, uh, what havoc on crafts across London. Yeah. Now I don't know if you guys noticed. There's a little story within a story where so she's staying with her pregnant friend and her friend's husband. And one thing I will give this movie credit for is that this is maybe the most multi-ethnic cast in a London set movie that I've seen. In maybe ever, and I really liked that they were taking advantage of the fact that London is a is a diverse city. But that she ruins his she they, they flashback. Her friend is pregnant, and they flashback flashback to nine months ago when she ruined her friend's husband's model ship. And I think the assumption is that he was so distraught that her friend had to have sex with him to make him to like take his mind off of it and got pregnant, and now they're going to have the baby. So that baby owes its life to Kate ruining that model ship, and that's a trade off I'm willing to make. People wow. over ships—that's what I say. People over hobbies, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I agree with that, but that's fine. We can I be mean, different. Seeing as I'm a parent and now have no hobbies, it really is people over hobbies in my life. So uh, now, when I think she- of parenting as a hobby. <laughs> it's the toughest hobby you'll ever love. You're like, you're like, and I can pick it up and put it down whenever I feel like. Yeah. My career is, of course, I've been wine drinking. I've working on this child for at least a year, and he's still not done. One of these days. <laughs> yeah, I mean, until you start making money off being a parent, you're still an amateur. But I, it also raised a question. So, Stuart, if your models got destroyed, would human intimacy make up for that, or would you be like... No, no, get away from me. This isn't this this doesn't do the same thing. Yeah, yeah. That's basically I think that's kind of the plot of the 40-year-old virgin, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Okay, so uh, she returns to work, but it appears that somebody has broken into Yuletide, the Xmas store that she works at. Uh, that's me reading my notes directly because I <laughs> wrote <laughs> Xmas town. <laughs> Fine. Uh, and so uh, Santa is talking to the police. And after the police uh, leave, Santa reveals that she had to fake the break in. Kate had forgotten to lock up and that she made Santa commit a crime to cover for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she really let Santa down. Yeah. On that one. I mean, the real Santa commits, you know, hundreds of thousands of crimes every year. Just mm-hmm. so much mm-hmm. breaking and entering. Trespassing, hate mm-hmm. crimes, lots of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's kind I mean, of can... broken a window now and then. They've got to assume that there's a chimney that's too narrow, and he's like, uh, they'll love these toys. I'll just smash this window and get in. And then he's like, ooh, look at this jewelry and this computer. They shouldn't have left that lying around. I'll just put that into Santa's little sack. Yeah, and you know like... what? I'll keep the toys, too. Uh-huh. This would look lovely it's on Mrs. Claus. It's a Claus. fair trade for all the toys I've handed out over the years. Santa deserves to wet his beak a little. <laughs> Time for Santa it's... to get his beak wet. And then yeah. the homeowner is like, Santa, what are you doing here? And Santa's like, get away, and shoots the homeowner. And then, like, that's, and the homeowner's that's... like, it's fair, it's the purge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot that Christmas Eve is the purge night also. Yeah. yeah. Uh... Oh, okay. So, Santa's just throwing uh... bombs at people's houses. It's purge night, don't worry about me. <laughs> so she bumps into uh, Kate. You know, Kate's feeling pretty down. She bumps into Tom again. He tries to, he takes her to a homeless shelter. Uh, and it seems at this point, it's like we're Tom's pretty mysterious. Despite being a ghost, we're not sure if he lives at the homeless shelter or whatever. He says that he uh, he says that he like helps out there. or He volunteers. He encourages her to help out. Um, but she is hesitant later on, obviously, when looking for Tom, she ends up accidentally helping at a homeless shelter. It is, it is a real dick move, I think, for her to be like, I don't really have a home. I'm effectively homeless. And he's like, OK. Here's the homeless shelter. Why don't you stay here? I'll call you on your bluff. And she's like, I guess I could go me- go stay at my parents' house. And like, I thought that was a real like smug move on his part. You know? Yeah. For a ghost who doesn't need a home. Like, easy yeah. for him to say. He could just like haunt wherever. He could just float around, you know? Mm-hmm. That's what uh, I'd do. So that- yeah, Dan would. Dan would. Uh, like I'm having- guessing haunt haunt the local <laughs> locker rooms. Uh, like, so. <laughs> Libelous uh, so accusation. Sorry. Yeah, Dan. I guess your ghost can sue Stewart after you die. If oh, your ghost man. doesn't just hang around locker rooms, which you know it's going to do, and you're like, uh, I'm suing Stewart. I'm at a dressing room, not a locker room. Uh, so she gets a ride to visit her mother. Uh, she gets a ride from her father, who drives a cab. Uh, obviously, the relation, all the relationships in this family are chilly. Her mother's played by Emma Thompson, who, let's just say, makes a meal out of this role. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, which, to be honest, I think adds just enough, uh, for at least for me, just enough energy to her, like, you know, like her big Yugoslavian mother performance. Well, and there, it's, it, they never go into total detail with it, which is fine, but they're, they're clearly, I, I guess they're like Croatian or Serbo-Croatian, and it's implied that they yeah. had to escape during the during the the terrors in Yugoslavia, when you yeah. know there was all sorts of uh, ethnic strife and the country fell. I mean, apart. it's not implied. They said it right out. Right? Well, but they never she make. Like, they like never. T- she says like all my friends are dead, and like we had to leave. But they don't. They don't go much more than that. Like I was right. never sure no, if they were. Uh, Amelia Clark says it at one point. She's like, "Yeah, my family all had to leave there during the the terror, didn't she?" 
Yeah, yeah, no, they say, but they, never mind. They, they say, I was like, I was never quite clear if they were Serbs or Croats or Serbo-Croatian. Uh. It's not really necessary, you know, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, they're refugees so her, is all that's important. Yeah. Yeah, she stays the night with her mom and her mom takes her to a doctor's appointment in the morning. And that's where we get a little more background that Kate has been, uh, Kate has been dealing with a medical condition uh, and she has not been, uh, she's not been going to the doctor enough, and her mother is still a point of stress, et cetera, et cetera. She's dealing with a very serious condition called movie heart problemitis, mm-hmm. a loosely defined problem with her heart that, well, you know, wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. That's now, like, by this time in the film, she's had a heart transplant, and the concern yeah. is that she needs to live her life more healthily because she is weakened because she had gone through this transplant. That is the concern. Yeah. It's not like yeah. she's got movie heart-itis. <laughs> I just want to uh, be fair I think it's movie going. heart-itis. Okay. Um, but obviously she's still having trouble moving moving on with, uh, after suffering the uh, both immense physical trauma of getting uh, a heart transplant, as well as the emotional uh, problems, that, it would be the pre- emotional difficulty of it. It would be pretty funny if the doctor was like, well, we took an x-ray and there's a ghost in your heart. And we apologize. We should have removed it when we got the transplant. We, the donor heart should have been cleansed of ghosts. That's why we have a priest on staff. But the good just, news is, get... the good news is eventually that ghost is going to jump out of your heart and uh, teach you how to live your life. But in between, it's going to be a couple rough uh, months there. Uh... Yeah, luckily, it's a mostly benevolent ghost. We've had a few people come in with malignant ghosts. Very dangerous. Very bad. Uh, but you've got so a benign a, ghost. You've got a, beni- a benign well, it, ghost. Yeah, it's a charming ghost, which is which is the best <laughs> like thing. A to- have. Like a topper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, wait, you've got I like guess your- topper was not the ghost. He was the just the guy bedeviled by Cary Grant and uh, who else was in yeah. that? I don't know. Uh, uh, Mrs. Topper. Yeah. Anyway, it's like Peter O'Toole in the movie High Spirits. So <laughs> we, uh, or, not, or, not the uh, or rock Vin- and roll band High Spirits, <laughs> oh, no. which is a different thing. <laughs> oh. so, when Peter O'Toole is uh, with them. <laughs> Sorry. So uh, Kate goes uh, on further adventures with Tom. He takes her to a skating rink and she skates around. Uh, she goes to a family dinner where everybody's mad at each other. And then Kate fucking outs her sister to her parents which is kind of wild like that i feel like that strays into unforgivable territory i don't know about you guys this is where the mo- movie was kind of like mm, should we try to be fleabag for a couple minutes we're close enough uh, uh no this is too much too much too much not fleabagging get out of here enough like it yeah. is it's it's pretty intense for her to do but her parents either are pretending or kind of don't seem to pick up too strongly on it so if that scene could have gone a lot more dramatic and and uh, Emma Thompson does a lot of. They seem pretty cool with it. Yeah, Actually, I, mean, I mean, they did. They do seem almost instantly pretty cool with it. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that. That is the they 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 backed off on some of the the, the bad parts of that scene a little bit. Well, there's there's something. See, that's the thing about this movie that got to me a little bit, which is that it is very much a fluff Christmas movie about a, a, a misguided woman who gets put on her way by a ghost uh, and falls in love with that ghost, but. It's they they keep kind of hinting at these more serious things like refugees and xenophobia in Britain or homophobia among like older people, but then they don't. It this is going to be a light movie, so they kind of don't want to get too deep into those things. So they just kind of throw them in there for a moment and then back off. And it left me feeling a little confused. Well, it also, I mean, with that with the lesbian plot uh, in particular, which I you know I can spoil ahead like. There's all this concern over it, and then we skip ahead at the end of the movie, and we see them all together, and like 
the like the mom is complimenting the girlfriend and all this stuff and it does feel like there was a scene missing like i don't think that the parents had to be like angry at her or i mean like they could be like we are very traditional people but we love you as is you know we hope the case out there with might you know might happen for people like that but that scene is missing you know yeah, I, mean, we, I guess we have to assume it happens during the during the yeah. many scenes uh, of her setting up that uh, talent show at the end. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was it was originally intended to be in the background while the talent show auditions were happening. So uh, Kate is despondent after her terrible family dinner experience. She goes out drinking. She bumps into Tom again. He takes her to his apartment, and Kate has a kind of a breakdown, and she reveals that. She a year ago, she'd had a heart transplant and how uh, she's having trouble moving on with her life. Yeah, that and there I don't know there, if there's there anything else. I mean, and they don't they don't sleep together. No, anything. he's very gentle and is like but gives, he gives her a kiss. gives. He, oh, yeah. After her request, he gives her a chaste kiss on the lips. But there's a lot of like therapy talk here where he's he's like he's like just living is hard. We have to be easier with ourselves about just getting through the day. And it was like, all right, now he's moving into like self-help yeah, book he passed, he, he passed like like the dream of the supportive partner to like all the way on to like, yeah, like like ghost therapist. And like even to the degree that like, yeah, he's like, like you're looking, you're going through trauma right now. Like all you need. Yeah is to sleep, you know? But I, I did think it was interesting that I thought that this movie and, like, this scene in particular investigated the idea. I mean, I feel like whenever, like, transplant is used as a plot point in any sort of, like, a story, it's, like, the end point. And it's, it's usually just not examined like this of, like, yeah, even if everything goes right, yeah. It's going to feel really fucking weird when you get a transplant and you have this thing in your body and like you don't know what that means for your future. You know something broke and you don't know if it's going to be fixed in the long run. And I don't know. I thought that was like something that I hadn't really thought about when I think about uh, like I, people getting transplants. <laughs> I agree yeah. with that too. Like I that was maybe my favorite stuff in the movie. Just the fact that like she had this thing. She had this close call. That most people would think, okay, you would just feel blessed about that, but it creates such, you know, like PTSD and all this other stuff that, like, I liked that the movie was about that and about getting through it. Mm-hmm. And in a way, I think on some level, it justifies the parallel between the idea of like uh, refugees and transplants in that way. Um, so uh, I, just, I just want to mention we mentioned the phrase we mentioned the phrase ghost therapist. There's the movie pitch. It's a comedy. <laughs> Just because he's dead doesn't mean his patients don't still need him. And the ghost comes back, and I can see the scene in the trailer where a patient gets really mad and picks up like something like a stapler from his desk and throws it through him, and it hits the uh-huh. wall, and then he goes, "Are we done?" And that's when it goes to the says, <laughs> yeah. ghost therapist. I feel like I feel like after the events of this movie, she needs to just keep Tom's ghost around to have her like set up an inspirational <laughs> Instagram account or something. <laughs> yeah, something with a lot of different fonts. Uh, so. Um, let's see, uh, talking to Tom kind of inspires Kate. So she sets out to help people. Um, she starts singing carols in the street and then that kind of, 
uh, right in front of the homeless shelter. And then they bring her into the shelter and she starts setting up. She starts organizing the it's like a Christmas talent show, right? Or like a Christmas yeah. pageant. It's like a fundraiser talent show where people with money will pay to see the homeless cavort in front of them uh, for their amusement. There's uh, there's a little bit of a thing here that bugs me where earlier in the movie she tells her boss, she's like, I don't think I'm going to do auditions anymore. They're not good for me. And Michelle Yeoh is like, good, I'm glad you came to that. And she's like, now it's time to make the homeless audition. Because, like, is she really going to turn down any of these people and not let them be in the talent <laughs> yeah, yeah. show? Like, how cruel would that be? Like, <laughs> yeah. Now they got to sing for their supper, Elliot. Uh <laughs> So then she bumps into Tom again. Uh, you know, she's ready to make a full commitment, but Tom has a secret. So they get in a fight and uh, she runs off. <laughs> no, I just like the secret thing. Uh, just remind me, like while I was watching it, I <laughs> like there's the scene later on where he like uh, where like she's figured it out. And, I, and then he shows up again later. And I just imagine him being like. Ooh, so I'm sorry about keeping it secret that I'm a ghost. Like, <laughs> I really should have, you know, that's on me. Like, I really. Yeah, she, or they bump into, she bumps into him later and he's like, I'm sorry, but I'm married. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a married ghost. I'm, a, I'm married to another ghost. And then a lady ghost comes by. Yeah, who's this, Tom? But he, he just hands it's her like, He's like, no, no, not her. Him. I'm also gay. I should have mentioned I'm gay and a ghost and I'm married. Did I not? And also I'm secretly a millionaire. But I... Did it, and he, he hands her a card that says, I'm sorry. It shows like a bashful ghost. It says, I'm sorry. And then he opens it says, that I'm a ghost. Yeah. It says, I made a boo-boo. <laughs> I made a boo. It says, I really put I the it. boo in boo-boo. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so, uh, meanwhile, uh, when Kate is visiting her mom, uh, Petra, her mother, uh, sees like the news and sees anti-immigrant uh, demonstrations on the news. And then later on, Kate is riding a bus and there's some racist dickhead shouting at people, telling people to leave the country. And Kate is inspired uh, to step up and like form a bond with a co- like a couple that is speaking Yugoslavian. I, th- I think if they're speaking Serbo-Croat or okay, uh, it's like Yugoslavian, like, I mean, Yugoslavia as a nation was the conglomeration of a number of different territories that yep. were majority of different ethnic groups. So... But the uh, she also this is a moment where she embraces her heritage yeah. as the whole movie uh-huh. she's been rejecting the name Katerina in favor of Kate because of her favorite movie Kate and Leopold she could uh-huh. have named herself Leopold <laughs> but for whatever reason she decided not to wasn't that about ghosts too that uh, it's about time travel right yeah he was a, a Hugh Jackman was a man out of time he uh, was a noble from yeah the past where where everything was better everything oh the gentleman back in the past. <laughs> Everyone was so nice to women back in the past. What is a ghost? Is a ghost a tragedy condemned to repeat itself time and again? An incident of pain, perhaps. Something dead, which still seems to be alive. An emotion suspended Uh in time, like a blurred photograph. Like an insect trapped in amber. Yeah. So, uh, Stuart, Kate- I like how it feels like we're like um, your tool set, <laughs> and you're like peeking us. You're like finding us on the shelf in the in the video display. Oh that we have. Yeah, yeah, 
You're talking about the uh, the the storage locker that I have to record the podcast. <laughs> it does for anyone anyone who's trying to imagine it. It's like in the movies when there's a camera shot from inside a refrigerator when someone opens up a refrigerator. Like that's yeah. what it looks like while we're looking at stuff. Yeah. Like we're the ketchup and he's just looking yep. into the fridge. I'm like. Why is there all this fucking Sunny D? I just want my purple stuff. <laughs> so, uh, or like, maybe like an old jar of like pickled cabbage will start talking to me and it's a commercial for cleaning your uh, refrigerator. So, um, so is that, Kate wait, that's around. the thing that, they have commercials for that? Like from the <laughs> yeah. Clean Fridge Council. Clean your refrigerator, yeah, yeah. won't you? Like there's, there's a refrigerator and like, oh, I'm so full of dirt. I don't uh-huh. feel so good. Uh-huh. Why don't yep. you clean your fridge? Give your yeah. fridge a, a fridge cleaning day. Brought I mean, to you by the Clean Fridge Council. Dirt in a fridge. I mean, it doesn't need to be cold. It's shelf stable, <laughs> Oh, why are people putting cold dirt in me? <laughs> so like so, somebody's uh, like, I'm going on vacation. I better put this flower pot in the fridge so the flower stays fresh. Mm-hmm. So Kate starts to, oh, it's like when people put batteries in the freezer. You're like, what, do you want to make a remote control cold? <laughs> Are you uh, supposed to put batteries in the freezer? I think so, yeah. Also, it could be a commercial for those the the refrigerators that... Um, are connected to the internet because uh, isn't their job to tell you if something's bad or not? They like survey the, everything. Why do you need the internet for that? Because I don't know. <laughs> you wanna, but that's the point of that. You want to see if your fruit is bad from a distance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you can check because, on your phone. Because yeah. they're in like they're in the bad food chat room. <laughs> <You do. laughs> Take a look at these hot pics. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't want my I don't want my refrigerator attached to the internet and suddenly there's just a bunch of porn in the refrigerator. I don't need that. <laughs> I like my porn hot, not cold. <laughs> Always pop-ups. <laughs> I'm just trying. You're like pushing pop-up windows out of the way to get to the eggs. You're like, oh, come on. <laughs> so Kate starts to try and make amends. She uh, she attempts to uh, uh, to re- repair the bond with her sister. It goes okay. Uh, she spends time with her mom and goes to a farmer's market. She goes and starts apologizing to all the friends that she is disappointed uh, I think this is, they probably, I think this scene is set to like freedom or something, right? Yeah, I think so. I did like the implication that her relationship with her mom was not so bad that it couldn't be fixed by one afternoon at a farmer's market. Yeah, yeah. when they took shots together. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, her mom seems like a little overbearing, Fine. but not that, I mean, pretty normal yeah. mom, like not that yeah. different than, uh, well, it's like the kind of person where you have to be like, mom, but it wasn't like, there was no, uh, there's no reason to leave the house. But also know? at the end of the movie, Mom and dad, who have not talked basically for years, seem like happy together or at least like very friendly. The like they've accepted the daughter, like everyone's happy. And the implication is the one problem this family was our lead, <laughs> like that our lead somehow dragged down the entire family until she became I mean, better. <laughs> that can happen. I have had friends where their family is destroyed by a sibling who's yeah. just like such a, such a hard person to deal with but every now and then a ghost comes in sets that family straight so dan i guess what i'm saying is this movie should be taken literally because it does happen (laughs) (laughs) so uh she returns to tom's apartment she wants to share all of her uh her good vibes with her buddy tom only to find that a stranger dressed similarly to him uh who makes his living as a realtor is selling the apartment (laughs) what in the in one of the cupboards that she finds tom's cell phone and then all of a sudden she realizes she's looking around the office 
She sees all the things. She realizes she's been talking to Kaiser Soze the whole time. It hits her like a ton of bricks. Tom died last Christmas. He got hit by a bus. Then he donated <laughs> his heart, and that heart now resides in her chest. Yeah. Can you believe it, we, Dan? We should have known from the lyrics. Last Christmas, got hit by a bus. <laughs> <laughs> I gave my heart to Amelia Clark. <laughs> okay, wait. I had a question. Did you guys was this was this uh, the joke or was it only funny to me? I, at first, I was like, "Oh, I'm so clever for realizing that this was funny," and then I'm like, "Oh, maybe this is the point of the thing." But the thing that he keeps telling everyone is, "Look up!" But then he was like on a bike and got hit by a t- truck. So. <laughs> <laughs> That his like that his philosophy on life, look up, is just tied in with him not looking up. Exactly. Yeah. How did you hit you? Did you hurt you hurt your pointer finger? Are you okay? You're pointing at us I, vehemently, and I saw a bandaid over. I know. It's really uh, my child is obsessed with pointing, so this is a serious injury in my household. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, I caught myself on. Uh, cooking item i was washing make up a story make it up yeah (laughs) no i was i had made a cake for my son we used Uh the feature that that's the greater feature in the food Uh processor and then when i was watching it washing it i just sliced my finger yeah that's a common injury in the kalen household to me washing something sharp and then and you get those like those shallow cuts where there's a lot of blood, but it takes yeah. forever to heal and like exactly. Ugh, close. I think, and then he, uh, yeah, and then I had to give him a bath last night, and everything reopened, and so then I had to wrap my finger up, and there was all this blood, uh-huh. and I uh, left a tissue on the counter while I was putting him to bed, so my husband saw it as a passive aggressive gesture of like, <laughs> just so you know, I was bleeding, and wow. I didn't. <laughs> I mean, he should have. He could have. He should maybe have been the one to give the bath. But I, I know yeah, your husband I mean, especially because it was a bath in lime juice, and you're like, all that citrus right in the cut. I yeah. know. I was like, this will help, right? The worst part was when when your son took took your finger and put it in his mouth, and now he has a taste for human blood. That's never yeah. going to go away. Okay. Have we ever talked about? Having a baby really made me think about how horrible it would be if a baby was bitten by a vampire, and so that baby never grows up and is just a baby forever, screaming constantly for blood. And it does—it's like what a—it was the—I—I I sometimes lie awake at night worried that's going to happen, and it was—it would be so nightmarish to like your kid never grows up and is always a baby. Wow, Elliot's writing concept stuff for like 1990s World of Darkness, uh, Vampire the Masquerade source books. <laughs> uh, so, uh. So he, we the, we reveal, we finally got to see also all the scenes, the flashbacks to the scenes with Tom, but Tom's not there because he was a ghost. Yep. So we finally get that moment. You know, I feel like if I was going to direct a movie just to keep everybody uh, on their toes, I would shoot every scene with at least one person missing. So they think like, <laughs> wait, is my character a ghost the whole time? <laughs> uh, so she she runs into ghost Tom. They're sitting on the secret garden. Bench. Stuart's sitting he with the disappears. producers. They're like, Stuart, you're way over budget and you're way over shooting schedule. It's going to be the best prank. Don't worry guys. <laughs> uh, so we, uh, and then we see, of course, as Dan mentioned before, there's a little dedication plaque on the bench in the secret garden to Tom Webster, uh, with his catchphrase, look up, uh, theoretically the last thing that went through his mind before the bus. Um, Look up, by the way, is one of those things that seems like it's meaningful, but I never quite understood 
this inspiring message. Well, if you're looking down, you might not see like a sign that looks like a grasshopper or some shit, like oh, they do okay. in the movie. You know, you want to see those grasshopper signs. Mm-hmm. So it's like that song uh, from Sesame Street. Looking at a crack in the sidewalk, I nearly missed the rainbow. That song. I don't. I don't know that song, but it sounds like a George Michael song because it's so depressing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Go on. Okay, so then we're at the, uh, we have the uh, Christmas pageant at the homeless shelter, and basically every character who has shown up in this movie, anyone who has had a speaking role, is there. It is huge. And of course, Kate gets up there in her elf elf suit and sings, Last Christmas, and the audience loses their fucking minds like it's Event Horizon. I will say this- Voice like an angel. Voice like yeah. an angel. Yeah. Wish that voice had showed up to the auditions. Whoa! Wow! Burn. This this is a movie that I was I was pretty cynical about, but this scene I was like, okay, movie, you got me. I like seeing everybody show up, and she and she you know entertains them and stuff. It it did for me what uh, Craig T. Nelson and Mary Steenburgen tangoing to meatloaf in uh, Book Club did for Dan. Yep. Uh, I mean, not that I cried, but I was like, okay, you got me, movie. No, it's a very very sweet moment. Uh, then we have, you know, like a family Christmas or Boxing Day uh, uh, meal where the whole family's there. Marta and Nora. Nora, uh, that's the name of the girl. No, Alba, Al- right? Alba? Yeah, Alba. Oh, okay. Um, and they're all hanging out. They're having a great old time telling jokes. And then we get a, a last shot of Kate sitting in that secret garden in the spring. Uh, she seems to have gotten her life together. She looks like she got her hair done and has a new dress, and she looks up into the sky, presumably at Ghost Tom, and then we have credits, and the credits are accompanied by scenes from the movie, unrelated to the credits. Yeah. Now, she also, and by the end, she's wearing a lot less makeup, right? Or is she just wearing more natural-looking makeup? I think she's wearing more natural-looking makeup. That's one thing that kind of bothered me at the end of the movie, honestly, because she looked kind of born again, almost. Uh, Not to, like... Put anyone's like religion down. I, you know, grew up uh, in a religious household, and that that is fine. But she like looked scrubbed in a way that seemed to like take away. I don't know something of her personality, like because you like a girl with with some grit on her, a little sin. Yeah, a little <laughs> the sadder but wiser girl for me, Elliot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like the librarian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The uh, that's I I think Dan. I mean, I'm also not not a. The, the, one of the things that kept me from being into this movie for most of the running time is that Christmas is not a magical time for me because it is not a holiday I take part in, and I feel like it is forced. I'll, I can't get away from it during that time. But if a ghost came and visited me, I would probably convert. I mean, that's mm-hmm. about all the evidence. That's true. If a if a ghost was like, "Hey, I'm a ghost. I'm dead now. This is what the afterlife is like." I'm like, "Well, I'm not going to argue with this. Like, this is yeah. that's the problem know, I always prank me? had in like all these." Uh, like fantasy movies where I don't know, there's like demons from hell, but the like person in charge is like still struggling with their faith. And I'm like, I think you just had your worldview confirmed, dude. Like, just be cool with it all now. Yeah, you know what? Well, that's you got to extrapolate that to like in the Marvel movies. Why does that not world like? Why is that world not? You've been like, okay, the Norse gods were the real ones. I guess that's the way yeah. it is. Like all this Jesus stuff was was kind of a kind of a fake this whole time because I can see Thor. He's yeah. right there. He's fighting crime. I like it. 
this is kind he's of much all more the of an interventionist god than our like, god. I've never I seen mean, Christ really come down and crime in those I, movies, right? I, it he's is just very much giant crime. monsters. I mean, it is they, if, <laughs> those I, monsters I, are doing you know property damage, <laughs> property damage, murder, attempted murder, like property if, damage. Dan always puts property before people. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, Ultron was trying to destroy an entire country or city, right? So I feel like that's a crime. But if yeah. if Jesus came down and was fighting a giant robot or like a you know a sarcastic robot that was trying to destroy a foreign country, I'd be like, you know what, Judaism, we had a we had a good ride, but uh, <laughs> but I feel like this this says all I need, you know. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, I guess that's basically the I end of the movie. You're not seeing Buddha go up against Thanos. That's all I'm saying, you know. Uh, so we can do our final judgments about whether this is a good, bad movie, a bad, bad movie, or a movie kind of liked. Guys, I gotta say, I kind of liked this movie. I thought it was perfectly pleasant. I thought it was fun. I thought she was, like, super charming in it, and the supporting cast was good. And also, I think I've been thinking about it, and the pro- the reason I split that hair before is, for me, if you read this as, um as a sort of supernatural intervention like that is too close to me for like kind of a divine intervention where it takes away her agency in you know her own recovery and so i i i think that as a movie that appeals to someone like doesn't even have to be someone who like has gone through trauma but maybe someone who is just uh working through depression or or some sort of bad turn in their life like I don't know. I really liked that part of it. I thought it was sort of inspiring in a weird way. So that's that's what I thought about the movie. Okay, Hallie, ready for you to roast the movie? This fucking rolled. No, I think I I think the text I sent. I was trying to find the text I sent to Dan after I watched it, which was something like, uh, "Hold on, let me find it." We've been texting a lot, so... No, it's cool, uh, it's cool. I mean, we live in the same city, it's same time zone, but I, I had you over at my house for dinner, but that's okay. Like, we don't need to... We don't need to I mean, most of the much. texting was about technical issues that I yeah, had fucked up, but... I uh, said, weeping, feel-good movie of the century. Nothing snarky to say about it. Renewed my faith in the human race. If you watched <laughs> it and felt differently, then you are a monster, and I don't want to know you. But <laughs> I'm relieved. So I loved it. I had a I I I really you know I enjoyed the watch, but I guess Dan, I like push. I I want to like push back after you've made that s- statement about what you think of it because like there's there's like no real evidence in the movie that like she actually does anything to. Um, further, like her own, like like there, there's no real role that she plays in her own healing. Besides, like very much towards the end when she's like, "Listen, you're bad for me if you're not going to take care of me, so I'm cutting you out of my life." But like, but but as a metaphor for like like if he's supposed to be like we don't see her playing a role in her own healing at all so like all he could be is a metaphor so so i don't really i don't think that the movie like provides that for me necessarily uh, because you don't really see like the wheels turning in her head at all until like very much towards the end no i mean well first off i don't want to imply that i don't believe like everyone 
uh, could use help in getting over things, and it's good to reach out uh, for help, and you shouldn't have to like do it all on your own. So I don't want to like uh, give that impression by putting forth my feelings on it, but I do feel like if you accept the central premise that he could be like some sort of manifestation of her own need, then you can see everything that he inspires her to do as coming from herself, I guess is the way I would put. It's a muddy thing. I just find it like, I don't know for me, the movie works better or best like with that kind of, uh, I am realizing how to improve my life by doing things for others kind of feel that uh, I appreciate it. I don't know. Yeah, I so this is a movie that I've watched twice now. Uh, I watched it on my own time. And then uh, when I heard we were doing this episode, I decided to watch it again. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I feel like the twist is incredibly silly. <laughs> but Wait, I that, feel like... that a ghost in her heart mm-hmm. is showing her the true meaning of, of helpfulness. Yep. Yep, thank you for uh, making that uh, text. Um, the as opposed to subtext. Um, the but yeah, I mean, like Amelia Clark, I think is very charming. Henry Golding is fine, uh, but man, like Emma Thompson, uh, Emma Thompson and Michelle Yeoh are so great. They're so much fun to watch. Uh, I wonder if Michelle Yeoh and uh, Henry Golding talked about all the fun times they had on the set of Crazy Rich Asians. But, you know, maybe that's for the book about the making of this movie. And uh, it I feel like I feel like for like a test run for like a, a George Michael themed like jukebox musical. This is a pretty good like initial statement. Like, I feel like you mm. could turn this into a full on musical, like a stage musical. Uh, yeah, so. Uh, come on, Broadway. Uh, get rid of all the COVID and come back with one of those things. <laughs> come on, Broadway. It's uh, on you. Say, it's an easy step say, one. I would say this is a movie I kind of like. Uh, I don't know that I'd go so far as to say that I kind of liked it because it's not like uh, – I would say I didn't – I don't think this is a bad, bad or a good, bad. I, I think it's in that realm of like this is not necessarily a bad movie, but it's not – a for it's not for me type of movie like yeah. i kept kind of as as super charming as amelia clark is the movie is like never really like funny and there are a few times when it's trying to be funny there's a joke about nuts and nutcrackers that i found so incredibly loathsome <laughs> that it was like movie you're better than this come on uh but and there were times when i was like oh there's a more like i wanted this movie to go to be a little bit less cutesy and go a little bit farther into like Emma Thompson and Michelle Yeoh's characters partly because they're amazing yeah. actors but also like there's something about their experience as like first generation as like immigrants basically that are making their way in this place and kind of doing whatever they have to where I was like oh I've never seen like a Christmas movie that is from that angle but they touched on it a little bit uh, so that's alright but I would say look if you're looking for a movie to watch with your family when you visit your parents on a holiday, this movie mm-hmm. will be fine for everybody, and it'll solve that problem. And I think Stuart is exactly right. This would be, I think, even more successful creatively as a George Michael jukebox or, or Wham! jukebox musical uh, that's on stage. I think the ghost twist would be a lot easier to take as like kind of a fun thing on a stage show than yeah. in a movie. Because yeah. in a movie, you're like, 
uh, expecting more. Well, I was also I like, I, when, when I was watching this with Audrey, who really enjoys it, but enjoys it more as a bad movie than I do, I think, she was like, oh, this, this like, twist is so dumb. And I'm like, yeah, it is, but I also think, sort of like what you're saying, if this was a movie from, like, 1938 or something we'd accept it more because we'd be like oh okay like i understand this context for sort of light romantic supernatural comedy you know well here's here's the difference i think would be in if they did it in the 30s i think there would be probably a more of a genuine sense of like um when the when the reveal would or the ending would have more of a genuine sense of of religiosity to it which i think yeah. would help in some ways but also here's what you do with this movie don't make it the twist at the end have her find out he's a ghost like halfway through like a quarter of the way in something you know maybe not a quarter like a third of the way in and then it, that way it doesn't become the movie's only twist and then you get her dealing with a ghost which is opens up a whole a whole new world so here's what we do we make it a stage show we put some more George oh Michael songs oh, in there oh, oh, and we find no, out that no. he's a ghost earlier in it so it's not it doesn't feel like it's a slender read that the whole movie is resting on you know okay it's well, a little bit like if you if you made Memento and at the end you were like and by the way he doesn't have his memory you'd be like wait what that's that's what I was waiting for this whole time. But when you know that going in, it's just smooth gravy. Guys, this is Ellie Kalen for smooth gravy. You like smooth gravy? <laughs> Here's a lot of people don't realize how smooth gravy can be. And so we here at Smooth Gravy have decided to take out the worst part of gravy, the lumps, and give you just that smooth, smooth gravy liquid. <laughs> but the lumps are usually the meat. <laughs> Yeah, well, we just keep churning that meat till it's super, super smooth. Okay. You know, we sand it down. Sanded meat is another another product I've been working on. Gross. Hi, I'm Allie Gertz. And I'm Julia Prescott, and we host Round, Round Springfield. Springfield. Round Springfield is a Simpsons-adjacent podcast where we talk to your favorite Simpsons writers, voice actors, and everyone who's worked on the show to talk about shows that aren't The Simpsons. So we're going to be talking to people like David X. Cohen, Yeardley Smith, Tim Long about other projects they've worked on, sometimes projects that didn't go well, mm. some failures, yeah. some rejections, some failed pilots, <laughs> some failed life events. Yeah, we just <laughs> talked to all the failures of the Simpsons. Yeah. So if you really love your Simpsons trivia and want to get to know the people who have worked on the Simpsons a little bit better, come by Round Springfield every other week on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. I listen to Bullseye because Jesse always has really good questions. What did John Malkovich wear when he was 20? <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. There's always that moment where Jesse asks a question that the person he's interviewing has not thought of before. I don't think anyone's ever said that to me or acknowledged that to me, and that is so real. Bullseye, interviews with creators you love and creators you need to know. From MaximumFun.org and NPR. Okay, well, I promised to keep this a little shorter than normal, so let's move on uh, to the next stuff in the show. We don't have uh, sponsors from a corporation this week, but we have sponsors from you. I think, Stuart, I sent you a Jumbotron. Do you have that? Heck, heck yeah, you did. And this is your invite to ReviewParty.com, a quirky new podcast. Each week, Brent and Matt Find user reviews from across the internet on everything from products to services, 
hotels to restaurants found everywhere from Amazon to Google to Yelp. With brains set for comedy, the pair explore the wacky worlds of the reviewers, explaining the inexplicable and finding the insane in the mundane task of writing a review. Join them on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or find it all on reviewparty.com.com. It is reviewparty.com.com. Uh, so join the party. Listen to ReviewParty.com, the only podcast that reviews reviews. There's one more thing we'd like to promote. That is, on August 15th, we'll be doing our promised, threatened, long-awaited reading of the script for The Boy Next Door. That's right. This was a reward to our Flophouse listeners for all the charitable giving they gave uh, during our Howard the Duck live talk stream video Mm-hmm. thing for charity we, yep. were, we were really amazed by uh, how many people turned out for that how much money they donated we were really inspired by it so we did the only thing we could do with that inspiration and we organized a reading of the script for the boy next door starring jennifer lopez and other people that's going to be saturday <laughs> august 15th at 9 p.m eastern 6 p.m pacific you want to see it just go to the flophouse youtube page that's www.youtube.com slash c slash the flophouse podcast uh or you can also just google Flophouse Podcast YouTube page. I did that, and it took me to the same basic place. Uh, it's going to be us. Hallie's going to be there. Uh, should we Should we mention right off the bat that, yes, the dream casting is happening. Dan McCoy will be playing the part of Jennifer Lopez, and Hallie <laughs> will be playing the titular boy who creeps all over Jennifer Lopez. So if, this, if you ever wanted to see Hallie creep on Dan, this Ugh. is the time to do it. She will have the immortal line, I love your mom's cookies, uh, as said in the movie, <laughs> The Boy Next Door. So again, that's August 15th, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, www.youtube.com slash c slash the flophouse podcast it should be a lot of fun other people will be in the cast too you'll see them at the time yay that sounds good that sounds like something to do right guys to while Uh, away the hours we're all looking for something to do nothing else to do (laughs) hey just get yourself your family the ghost that lives in your heart pop pop some popcorn and just oh you guys i was thinking what if this movie were named the haunted heart I love it. <laughs> kind of gives away the twist, but <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. Sorry for um, <laughs> sorry for uh, uh, jumping past that before. Uh, okay, you guys, for... have you ever seen? Could I do a version of the Telltale Heart that's all little kids and it's called the Tattletale Heart? Mm-hmm. You could do that. <laughs> <laughs> There's no law against that, right? Nope. Uh, let's do letters now from listeners. Uh, like you who are listening. This is from Tim, last name withheld, who writes, Dear Danny Dan and the Floppy Bunch, who would win in a battle? Stu's liver, Dan's good knee, or Elliot's forearm forearm hair? Also, after rewatching The Disaster Artist and realizing that the movie is not very good, sorry, I realized that the movie was not very good, and Franco the Younger was a terrible casting choice for Greg Sestero, and his beard looked Nick Cage hairpiece terrible. On the other hand, he was very well cast in Jump Street. What are some of movie history's worst casting choices in your minds? Getting a weird French dude to play the lead in Highlander was sick, though. Thank you for continuing to inject joy into my sad, collapsing veins, Tim (laughs) Lasting withheld. Um, I'm glad that somebody finally took Elliot down a notch for that crazy-ass arm hair you yeah, have. Yeah, mm-hmm. thank you. You're right. Finally. 
Take that. Take that, my Eastern European ancestors. How is dare it, you? Is it the arm hair on your forearm or the arm hair that creeps out of the uh, the edges of your tank tops? Wow. <laughs> you mean my armpit hair? <laughs> no, but, but is it armpit hair when it kind of like sprouts out of the top of your shoulders and then no, migrates no, that's shoulder down hair. toward your fingers? No, that's shoulder hair, Stuart. Uh, no, you're right. I apologize. It's a crime against nature that even though I evolved from a primate, I retained the body hair of said animal, and I will be talking to my I'll be talking to my uh, manscaper about it. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh. You can get that threaded, dude. You can get that threaded right wow. off. I mean, or it's thick. I, I could be turned into a topiary. Who knows? Let's do it. Nice. Yeah. yeah. We're airing all the laundry. Hey, I'll uh, start. No, with Dan. The... It's the, it's the, we're airing what's under the laundry. Mm-hmm. My hair. <laughs> Bravo. Uh miscasting. Uh, Actually, I will say that my uh if I ever the, I end up I end up shirtless at my house a lot because my children are constantly getting gook all over my shirts and uh-huh. uh my or and also we're or we'll be swimming or something. And uh, my my toddler boy, he likes to run his hair his his fingers through my chest hair and he goes, "I like your fur." <laughs> Daddy, I like your fur. Mm-mm. That's cute. so gross. <laughs> I think it's very so adorable. Gross. It is cute. It's just... um, the part of it that okay. is about my body, that's gross, but what he does is not. Um, There's no sexual aspect to it, Allie. Okay. <laughs> Although, cute. Daddy, I love your fur would, would be a very <laughs> sexual thing to say under certain contexts. I mean, it depends on who's saying it to who. Yeah. Um, okay. So, <laughs> miscasting. If it, was, if it was if it was Scrappy-Doo saying it's a Snagglepuss, then yes. Yeah. That's incredibly sexual. I mean, I, I certainly am going to have to remove it from my sexual uh, repertoire. <laughs> yeah. Because oh, I'll just bring up images of Elliot. Okay. So, what are we talking about? We're talking about so miscasting. Uh, and I think that, like, you know, just to dispense with it up top, obviously there's a huge uh problem of whitewashing or casting uh people of not a certain race as a race uh that i don't think we can necessarily touch on here but if we're talking about miscasting i just wanted to say that but in terms of like just like the type of person that would have these roles i mean Elliot, i sorry i interrupted you uh before i get to mine what were you gonna say no i don't remember oh sorry well then i'll continue uh the thing that came to my mind was uh, appropriate since Emma Thompson was in this. I've got two talk show hosts here. Uh, when Emma Thompson was in the movie Late Night, uh, which was almost a Studio 60 level misunderstanding of what it is to be a comedy writer, which was weird since uh, since Mindy Kaling wrote it. But um, but she's not a late night writer. That's true. That's true. I shouldn't, but she surely knows anyway. Uh, so Emma Thompson. You would be surprised. This is uh, just speaking as a as speaking as someone who has recently spent a lot of time uh, with uh, members of the Writers Guild negotiating a contract. You'd be surprised how little anyone knows about how late night writing works. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, fair enough. But anyway, Emma Thompson in Late Night and Robert De Niro in The Joker both uh, fail at convincing that they come out and like read monologue jokes every night and people like it. <laughs> like, I mean, Robert De Niro in Joker is, I think, the worst performance as a talk show host I've ever seen. Like, it's so bad. He's so totally, like, uncharismatic. And it's, it, it's one of those things where it's like, I can't believe they gave pupkin his own show because he's not very good at it because it's, <laughs> yeah. it's the same character from king of comedy right like that's the only explanation i can think of yeah. is that he got that job in the 80s and now he's coasting like letterman at the end of his career and he's just kind of like doesn't care anymore in which case it's the best performance i've ever seen anyone else have anything to say 
You don't have to. Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously, one of the great ones is uh, Denise Richards as Christmas Jones in uh, the nuclear physicist in the James Bond movie. Um, that's great. And uh, I don't like recently. These are both uh, TV shows, uh, but there's that there's that show Sneaky Pete where uh, Giovanni Ribisi plays a con man, and I'm like. Nothing about this guy inspires confidence. In me. Like, I will not believe a yeah. word he says. He you're, seems you're, like he is has one foot out the door the whole time. Yeah, you're playing the subtext there as text. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and then there's uh, there's that show that I actually ended up liking a lot that uh, on HBO Run uh, mm-hmm. with Merritt Weaver and Domhnall Gleeson, where Domhnall Gleeson plays a like a motivational speaker, and there's nothing about him that makes me think that he can. Like that people would listen to what he has to say and follow along. <laughs> I have two I'll mention. Uh, one of them for there, there are a lot of old movies where there is a a bad piece of casting. But looking at Flophouse movies, I would say that Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. Uh, they they really like miscast those leads quite a bit when they got like it was like they were like you two play against type as much as possible. It's going to be great. And they just kind of disappear into the into the movie around them because they can't really carry it. But I would say that the movie The Post, the riveting tale of a newspaper that is reporting on something else another newspaper is doing. <laughs> uh, the, the story is so exciting that the final verdict by the judge is delivered via somebody hearing it over the phone and then repeating it to their office mates. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of issues with the movie. But uh, Tom Hanks, I felt like, was kind of on autopilot, and next to him you had Bob Odenkirk doing, I thought, a really good performance as the, like, in that kind of second tier of uh, roles in it, and I would have loved to have seen Bob Odenkirk play the Tom Hanks role, because I feel like he would have worked harder at it, whereas Tom Hanks was just kind of like, I'm Tom Hanks, I'm just doing a Tom Hanks thing, come on everybody, it's me, Tom Hanks, and I love Tom Hanks, he's great, but sometimes Tom Hanks you got to do more than just be Tom Hanks. Like, maybe be the captain of a World War II naval ship. I haven't seen it yet. Is it any good? <laughs> Not that I heard. Hallie, do you have anything at all? Yeah. Or? Uh, I would say, I don't know if you guys are... Well, I would say just off the Tom Hanks thing, if we're talking Da Vinci Code, like the Tom Hanks, Audrey, Tattoo, whatever, mm-hmm. coupling was infamously bad, but... My real beef. Well, I actually had a lot of ideas in this. The first one that came to mind was Julia Roberts and Mary Riley. <laughs> Did oh, you guys yeah. ever oh, see okay. that movie? Interesting, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You mean I Julia Roberts and Mary Riley. <laughs> <laughs> I had a big crush on uh, John Malkovich when I was young, so I saw all his movies. Uh, and <laughs> that, is, that is a sentence that is, a sentence that is very Hallie. Bad, they were bad That's a casting. very Hallie Haglund thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, he was poorly cast in a lot of things, because he's, you know, can't do act. He's not great at accents or... Uh, you know, uh, I think of Mice and Men was uh, a stretch for him. Uh, mm. But in Mary Riley, I think uh, Julia Roberts was the real problem. Uh, she could not nail the Irish accent she was trying to pull off. And it just, like, wasn't her genre. She's It's kind of like Amelia Clark being cast in all these super yeah. serious roles. We want, a joy, we want a joyful Julia Roberts, you know? Do you think uh, do you think John Malkovich did of Mice and Men because Tom Noonan wasn't around and they just grabbed the nearest other guy that was kind of like Tom Noonan? <laughs> yeah. 
Probably I, when I, huge superstar Tom Noonan dropped out of the role, they had to scramble, and all they could get was John Malkovich. I just want to say, the, with the, okay. sorry, with what Hallie was saying, like the miscasting thing, it, often it just goes to show you that, like, like I don't want to seem like we're down on actors because I think it kind of proves that oftentimes actors are so at the mercy of what they're given. I mean, there's some people who obviously transcend every time, but like it is so hard to do that, that like well, you see people who have, have not impressed you for years, and then they like turn out like, oh, no, you're fantastic at this, and it's because they got the opportunity to show it. Well, I think it's, it's not necessarily... I mean, that's one way to put it is the, what they're given, but I think it, it also goes to show that like actors are not... To be a, an actor and even a great actor is not this myth of, well, he can play anything or she can yeah. play anything. Yeah. It's that, like, John Malkovich, I think, for a while, that was like, he's a great actor. The guy can do anything. When really, he's great, but he has a certain type of character he can play. And it's like that with, I feel like there's every every big star at a certain point, they get to that point where it's just like, I'm going to play it all. Or they say, well, we just need a big name. Let's throw them in. And it is not the right thing for them to do yeah. you know but no, i also it, think that the problem is like there's this conflation of like good actor with intensity which i actually despite my earlier flame for john malkovich upon revisiting some old mary riley scenes i was like oh yeah like maybe john malkovich actually kind of sucks and he's just really intense <laughs> because one person who i was thinking about who i was like is always miscast except for in billions which is a totally ridiculous show is is paul giamatti i always think he's bad and i'm always like i don't understand why he's the most famous you know like such a, such a respected actor because all he is is like intensity he's well, not like you... did i watch john adams is that what you're gonna ask no no i was gonna say did you ever see win-win oh no He's it's a it's a it's he's still playing it's still a serious movie but he's much lighter in it and I think you're exactly right it's like there's like you look at John Malkovich and you look at his performance in being John Malkovich and he's so he's play he's lightly playing an intense character in that and it's so much better than in the movies where he's like blah 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 you know like where he's barking and things like that like that one where he played a dog dog Malkovich where he's just barking. <laughs> I yeah, <laughs> I have to say that I, I I cannot. So I agree with Hallie. I cannot let go of this joke that was killed by Elliot uh, mentioning being John Malkovich. I was going to say that like when Hallie was like, uh, I don't know whether John Malkovich is good or bad. I was going to be, <laughs> be like, well then come with me to this through this flesh tube and we'll go on a trip to his brain to discover once and for all what's the deal with John Malkovich. Everybody, come on board to the flesh tube. I'm continuing to talk because you're also nonplussed by me going back and rescuing that joke that should have just died. It is a little bit like uh, like in Blue Velvet, him going to rescue the hostage and the hostage is dead already. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All uh, right, so, well, Hallie, what else other ones you got? Hallie, do you have any other ones? Oh, I also, well, here was my thing, is I also think that Michelle Williams is someone who's all about intensity and get so much praise for being super intense but like often uh stands out in not a good way in her casting even though i know she's like very highly critically acclaimed and then i googled it and i saw that paul giamatti and michelle williams were in a movie together about some hawk and i was like i gotta see this because this is the problem <laughs> like this is probably the movie i'd see or i'd say was like worst yeah. cast but i couldn't <laughs> say because i didn't see it was that the hawk so that one 
Ladyhawk. That was Ladyhawk? No, it's like Hudson a Lady hawk, hawk died or something. I love that you went so far down this like rabbit hole of your least favorite actors that you like you're like connecting red yarn over to this hawk movie and you're like, I gotta see this. I gotta track this down. The thing is I actually like Michelle Williams, but I I guess I don't really like her as an actress. I I like her the idea as an of her, icon. But I, I never like watching her and stuff. Uh, what about somebody's like never seen Wendy and Lucy. What? I never saw what about Fosse Burden. I never saw that. The Hawk actually, is Dying is the name of the movie I'm talking about. Actually, I know exactly. In Fosse Burden, she's very good in it, but I had that same kind of issue where she's playing Gwen Verdon and she doesn't have the like spark that Gwen Verdon has when you see like tape of her performance. And it was just like, uh, there were times when I was like, uh, it was like, uh, it was like, Come on, Michelle. Like, I'm sure there were moments when Verdon wasn't living all of her past traumas at the same moment in her mind, yeah. you know. But I guess that's kind of what the show is all about. Uh, hey, there's another letter. Let's do it fast. Robert Lasting withheld. Wait, says, are, are there any more after this one? No, that's it. So you're saying this is the last letter? Yeah. Because last letter, I asked you a question. The very next day, you answered my question. Thank you for answering my question. And first, because you read my question. Last letter, this is that letter. After this letter, there are no more letters. In the alphabet, it would be Z, because that's literally the last letter. All this right. <laughs> letter, you'd say it's the last, and you'd be right. Yes, that's the sad part. Because <laughs> it is the last. When this oh, letter is passed, there won't be any more letters. <laughs> okay, that's enough of that. Uh, wait, I put my phone down, which had the letter Also, on. Also kind of highlighting what I don't like about the song, <laughs> Last uh, Christmas. <laughs> so, Robert... Although the music video of Last Christmas is fucking incredible, and you should just watch that for two and a half hours. Tells a full story. Uh, Robert Lasting with Hell, it writes, When I was in college, I took a class and we were presented with the question of if a piece of media had ever changed our outlook on life. A trans man in my class responded by saying that Pinocchio made him feel like he belonged because he, because he also was sure he was a real boy, which was such a profound answer that it blew my mind. My question is, has someone ever given an opinion on something that has profoundly changed how you thought of a piece of media? Sincerely, Robert, last name withheld. There's a lot of pondering going on. It's a pretty deep question. I found it very personal. I, f I yeah. found this, like, uncomfortably personal. That, not something. to say that it shouldn't be asked, but I felt every answer I came up with, I was like, I'm not sure I want to share that with people. Oh, interesting. Yeah. There, not, with, not with these three knuckleheads. I definitely feel like as I get older and as culture gets, hopefully, uh, more wider and inclusive, there are definitely things that I would overlook in movies in the past that I'm having trouble overlooking now. I've been having a real crisis of the soul over the Japanese tourist character in uh, Gremlins 2 uh, the past yeah. couple weeks as I've thought more and more yeah, about you bring that. bring it up a couple times. I know. It's really been haunting me because it's a movie I've been so unequivocally in favor of. And the more I think about it, the more I'm like, well, I cannot – I'm not okay with that part of it. But also like – there's just I, – I can't pinpoint it, but there are a number of times that movies that I have dismissed, I'll hear somebody talk about what it means to them, and I'm like, okay, that's something that I can, I can no longer dismiss that movie because I know it had that effect on you. And yeah. I wish I had a specific one in mind, but it really – it's a really great feeling because it, it's like, oh, oh, it reminds me of the potential of this art form, 
and how why how there's something for everybody in the world of movies or media or whatever and just cuz something doesn't hit me one way doesn't mean it's not incredibly valuable because it might hit somebody else in a way that I wouldn't have recognized before. So I wholeheartedly approve of this way of thinking, but I have no examples. I'm done. I, I, yield, the, I yield the remainder of my time. Uh, Fuck you. This... <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's this is... been watching a lot of community board meetings. <laughs> this is less a uh, like an external opinion and more like uh, like a conglomeration of like learning from people over time and like hopefully uh, becoming more thoughtful over time is that like sometimes movies I feel like just change in my uh, interpretation because of things that I've like felt in between. And one that struck me recently is I saw After Hours again, I think last year. Uh, the Scorsese movie starring Griffin Dunn, the, the black comedy. And it was like, when I first saw it, I was kind of like, oh, this guy is just sort of being bedeviled by uh, the city and by like bad luck and he's being overly punished, et cetera, et cetera. And then like seeing it again this year, I was kind of like, no, this is kind of like a sly critique of like, this guy presents himself as being nice and at the victim of the world, but he is perpetrating a lot of his own like downfall. And he is it, like the movie is sort of like uh, on the surface, like shows him being kind of bedeviled by a series of women. But if he showed any sort of like patience or forbearance in the movie or willingness to like not do what was expedient to save himself, like everything would have gone a lot better for him. And so it was just interesting to feel like, I think there was a deeper meaning that was always there that I just wasn't attuned to. I, there's a, uh, there's that moment in after hours where he takes out his only $20 bill and puts it in the, like the door handle or ashtray of the taxi cab door. Yeah. And then it flies away in wind. And I was like, well, why'd you do that? Stupid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that's entirely your fault. And it's something nobody would do. Come on, yeah. man. Uh, I mean, Stu, you don't have to have anything if you're having trouble with the. Uh... Yeah, I mean, I was I'm, the only thing that popped in my head was when I was having a conversation with somebody about furry culture, and uh, they mentioned how influential the scene in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie where Raphael is in the bathtub, and I'm like, you know what, that scene is pretty hot. I get it. <laughs> uh, moving on. To... Wait, I didn't answer. Oh wait, you yeah. didn't. Oh, sorry. I thought you said no. your everything was too personal. I mean, no, it was personal, but uh, I I have an answer. Yeah, okay. I just uh, no, I'd love to hear. Sorry. <laughs> no, uh, yeah. I mean, I hope it's okay to include things that we ourselves, as people in media, have worked on. Uh, but I feel like the, I don't know, I. You know, I worked on this show, Problem Areas, for two years, and our second season was all about education, and we sort of had this theme of, you know, our, our goal with the show was to, like, show show approaches that we're trying to, like, change a, a fraught system, and it, with education, a lot of it was focused on inequality and a lot uh, specifically, uh, like, racial inequality, and our last episode was, was like, very specifically about like segregated schools uh and like we had talked a lot about like oh like the we should you know because it was it was like really heavily focused on 
these documentary portions we had and we had talked about like, oh, do we find a place where they've uh, done districting where uh, that that creates uh, very integrated schools or, you know, do we, you know, where like housing is really integrated. And so schooling would also be integrated or the, the point is, like, we had, we just, like, talked around um, a lot of ideas about, like, how do you integrate schools? And as we were putting the footage that we had gathered together, um, there was, like, a, a quote from someone, a, a clip from someone that we wound up using that, like, uh, Wyatt Sinek and I, like, when we were editing, sort of went back and forth about, and I remember, like, arguing for time, like, oh, do, like, we really need to, like, comment on this clip. Uh, it's It sort of takes us out of the rhythm of something. But it, it was this person saying, like, you know, in integrated schools for white pe- for white students, it, like, is is important because it, dismel- it like, it dispels the idea that um, there's something inherently smarter or better about white people when you're like in a classroom with uh, people of all races. But uh, for black people, it's kind of essential for, for black and brown people. It's essential because like your success in schools is like inextricably tied to like the resources that you get when you're in a classroom with white kids. And I remember Wyatt being like, we have to comment about this because it's so upsetting to hear something like that and think about like it's not about think about like the only way that black and brown people can have success in schools is if they're in a classroom with white people because the only way that you can access resources is when it's tied to the white people that you're associated with and it was just like uh something that sort of like upended the way that i had thought about everything that we had talked about before and how we had sort of been talking about like these ways that you can change public schools that were just all uh, such small changes and not addressing like if you don't think about the humanity of people then like it doesn't really matter what you change within the system Um, and maybe that is like only uh, illuminating my own ignorance but it was like a real like moment of like me understanding something that like I didn't feel like I had understood before or like taken it. That's that's. I was just gonna say that's such a good answer that I feel bad returning to our usual nonsense but Elliot what were you gonna say? (laughs) Mm -hmm. We'll just edit Uh, out our responses. No no yeah yeah. No 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 I'm I'm not saying you can't respond I'm just expressing. Oh no I just want to tell Hallie she was wrong and then actually that no I'm just kidding come (laughs) on. Uh, it just goes to show that when you're dealing with any sort of media, you have to be not open-minded is the wrong word, but you have to, you can't take you can't rest on your assumptions about anything because one you may miss something, but also like there's a there's a real worth to challenging and analyzing any piece of media that you come across, and you'll get more out of it that way. I mean, whether work whether at work or play, than if you just mm-hmm. kind of lay back and let the let the media wash over you and then react to it on a on a just a sensory level. There's definitely movies that I've watched where I'm like, that's fine and then I take a couple minutes to think about it and I may not like the movie as much or I may have more complicated feelings about it, but I get a certain amount of like like pleasure and satisfaction from knowing that I'm engaging with it at a deeper level than just uh-huh. okay, take it or leave it, whatever. That's okay. Moving on. Like that kind of thing. 
and I don't know that I necessarily added anything to Hallie's answer, but I certainly <laughs> said something. In which case, and, and that's and, the important and part. And you said the last thing. It, yeah, cer- it certainly helped me put my stamp on everybody's responses, <laughs> and therefore I'm now the author and owner of that segment. So good job, Elliot. Thank you. Uh, oh God. Uh, you know what happens next, guys? Uh, What's that? The next part is where we recommend movies that you could watch. Let's say maybe in addition to. Uh, last Christmas, which or uh, if you don't want to, you don't have to watch Last Christmas. Yeah, you don't have I'm to, not going to. I'm not going to tell it. you don't watch it. I'm just saying you don't have to watch it. <laughs> yeah, you know, you make the call on this one. I mean, why, if why I was do we have to work I'd on? Like, why do we have to tell you all the time? <laughs> I'd be like, run, don't walk to Last Christmas. If Last Christmas is the type of movie you enjoy watching, yeah, yeah, that's good. So, uh, movie recommendations. I'm just uh, seeing whether I, I recommended something before, so I'm sorry for doing that on You've air. You've probably recommended something before. And you've recommended pro- lots of things, I think, unless those are implanted memories from the Weapon Name X program. Name one. Name one thing that I... You know, joysticks? Okay. I think you recommended joysticks once. Yeah, well, I've got a similar recommendation to joysticks uh, now, and that is... <laughs> Moving violations. <laughs> that is, hey, I don't know whether it qualifies as a recommendation <laughs> if it's a movie that we've actually done for the podcast before. I don't know what the rules are on that. I looked at the rule book. It's, I don't think there is a rule against it, but... Uh, you know, guys, the only I don't... rule in the the only rule in the Flophouse rulebook says no dogs can play major sports. <laughs> well, that's weird. Um, so, <laughs> did, you, did you check the appendices? It might list the rule there in the appendix. <laughs> well, I'm breaking the rule if it exists. Um, I don't know if you guys heard this. We're in the middle of a pandemic, and I, I don't know about you guys, but uh, I don't like it. I'm gonna say I'm not a big fan. Don't care oh, for okay. it. Making me feel bad. So sometimes when you feel bad, you just have to watch Tango and Cash. So my recommendation this week is Tango and Cash with Kurt Russell and Sylvester Sly Stallone. Tango and Cash. Oh, okay. Uh, do you need to qualify that recommendation at no, all? No, no, no. Well, I mean, it's a dumb movie. <laughs> How about that mm-hmm. for a qualification? But Jack it's fun. Jack Palance is in it. Jack Palance is great. Great to see him. Love it. Uh... So Dan, would you uh, would you? So you didn't like that I was trying to brand this as the Dandemic? I was really trying to make this kind of like like <laughs> Dan's did, I, pandemic. I didn't care for yeah, no, I yeah, the name the the damage to my brand is what I was worried about. <laughs> did you? So you didn't like those radio ads that I took out that yeah. were like this year make it a Dandemic? Mm. Uh, no, <laughs> didn't. <laughs> Elliot, do you have a recommendation? Uh, so here's the thing, Dan, and you're mentioning uh, Tango and Cash has really uh, put me in a quandary, and I'll tell you why. No, not because I was going to recommend Tango and Cash. I mean, <laughs> come on, guys. Come on. Um, because I have been going back and forth for a while now on whether or not to recommend the movie Runaway Train, directed by Andre Konchalovsky, the same director who directed – I probably pronounced his name wrong – who also directed Tango and Cash, uh, mainly because it stars John Voight, who is – uh, is you know yeah. a real problematic individual uh, in that he is a super Trump supporter, says a lot of terrible things, really seems to have gone around the bend. This is no longer the adorable John Void of Baby Geniuses. This <laughs> is the uh, this is a, so I've been wanting to, but I watched that movie recently, and it's a really really like like it's a really good like intense. Super intense movie, and it stars John Voight and Eric Roberts, who are both very problematic people in different ways, and the. Uh, but it's kind of like if Tango and Cash was a good movie, yeah. it would be Runaway Train, where it's like these two prisoners who escape from prison and get onto a train, not knowing that this train is about to become, wait for it, a runaway train. <laughs> and 
it's a I've been torn about whether to recommend it or not because the main actor I so do not the main actors I so do not support in any way shape or form. So that's kind of like an unofficial that's a that's a unofficial recommendation is Runaway Train. Having your cake and eating it too. All right. I'm going to have that cake. I'm going to eat it. I'm going to throw it up because I feel bad about having it and eating it. <laughs> okay. So instead, I was inspired by uh, this movie, Last Christmas, a movie, a, uh, a winter story involving a ghost who helps a young woman. Uh, it made me think of a movie called Curse of the Cat People from 1944. This is the somewhat sequel to the movie Cat People in which they said, you know, the first movie was about a woman who turns into a cat when she gets too kind of like uh, aggravated or emotional or turned on. We're going to do a movie about – a family where the daughter kind of has an imag- either a ghost or an imaginary friend becomes friends with that Catwoman from the first movie and needs her to get her through a very uh, like dysfunctional period in her family life. And so it's a, it's a movie that's kind of a strange movie because it's in some ways a ghost movie, but maybe it's not a ghost movie. But uh, it's a very like slightly melodramatic but fairly sensitively done story of uh, the tension between a a little girl and the other members of her family and kind of how she needs to escape into this relationship with a woman who may not exist or may exist to get through it. Uh, And so instead I'll recommend The Curse of the Cat People. But if you're one of those people who can separate your feelings about a real person from their work, sometimes I am, sometimes (laughs) I'm not, then you might as well go watch Runaway Train. Uh, Stuart, have you gone? Sorry. Uh, No, Dan, I have not gone. (laughs) Uh, wow. I guess it's I guess it's my turn. Wow. I don't know what the anger's about, but Oh, oh, now I'm angry. Interesting. Okay. What? Uh I'm going to recommend uh, a movie called Swallow. Uh it is a kind of a drama thriller movie with some horror elements. Um it is about a young woman who uh is recently married and uh becomes pregnant. And for all intents and purposes, it seems like she has this perfect life, a beautiful house, a handsome husband who has a good job, but he's never around. Um, And she begins uh, uh, she she begins ingesting inanimate objects of uh, of increasingly dangerous varieties Um, and. I am assuming the makers of the movie have done some research into Pika. Uh, I don't know very much about it, so I don't know how accurate it is. But uh, it's for me, it was an interesting uh, story about control and uh, it portrayed addiction in ways that felt very real and scary and just, you know, uh, I don't know. I uh, I thought it was I thought it was pretty compelling. Swallow. Uh, just to update everyone, Hallie's now in a closet. She appears to be uh-huh. in a closet with some, uh, like, there's some shoes behind her, maybe um, some bags. Anyway, um, oh, some, so fully some half coats. of the fully half of the people on this podcast right now are recording from closets. Yeah. Oh wow. Uh, let's um, let's That's get some fast math, Elliot. <laughs> let's get you guys out of there <laughs> yeah. and uh, and I, ta- I'm a little bit of a mathematician, knowing that two is <laughs> half of four. <laughs> let's let Hallie recommend um, her movie so you can both get out of those tiny rooms. Oh yeah, I was going to recommend. I I don't know if anyone has recommended it before. It seems like it would have been more timely uh, months ago. But ha- has anyone recommended Memories of Murder on this show? Not in a little while. I think 
a, a while back, but not recently. Oh, okay. Well, that's so please recommend my recommendation. Yeah, yeah. So Did I recommend, recommend it. Yeah, it's a Bong Joon-ho uh, earlier, earlier movie by him. It's sort of a loosely based on like the first um, serial killer in South Korea. And it was really fucking good. I didn't uh, know what to expect, but it's like very interesting. It's sort of about this like moment in Korea where they're transitioning from like an older society to a more modernized society. And that's reflected in the way they pursue this crime. And it's real fucked up and real interesting. Yeah. Hallie, I got to say, your audio got like, you know, like it's got this like much more intimate quality now that you're in the closet in there. Like, yeah. Um, And if anyone's wondering if Memories of Murder has Song Kang Ho in it, you better believe it does. He's uh, he's great. What a star that guy. Okay, guys. uh, We've tortured you all long enough. Um, Let's Uh uh, sign off for this. Um, Do you mean you've tortured us or the listeners? uh, I was thinking about. You initially, but then I was like, you know what? I'm going to leave the ambiguity because it, it applies equally uh, to all participants. But uh, nice. It could be a ghost or a metaphor. Yeah. That's up um, to you to decide. Thanks to all who donated in this past Max Fund Drive, which just uh, came to a close recently. Uh, thank you to our network, Maximum Fund, for providing us with support. All that stuff. Go check out the other podcasts there. Hallie, is there anything that you uh, want to plug or anything you want to say or thank you uh, for coming, first of all? Thank you for being on the show. I'm doing this uh, very uh, intense performance. The only thing I have on my schedule is the uh, Boy Next Door. (laughs) All right. Well, we'll promote the Boy Next Door. Um, Thanks to everyone. Thanks for listening. Uh, For the Flophouse, I've been Dan McCoy. I've been Stuart Wellington. I'm Elliot Kalen. And I've been Hallie Hagland. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Very intense. So intense. Bye. David Lee Roth. Yes, He'd David Lee Roth. do a lot Roth. of scatting, too. He'd be like, skilly bop, bidip. Did I tell you about the time I saw kind of kind of recently? <laughs> so kind of recently, I saw a. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture, artist owned, audience supported.